Alrighty, folks. It's British Open Week or Open Championship Week or the Open Week. However you like to refer to this week. It's here. It's our first one in two years. This is the Drop Zone. I'm Sean. He is Dylan. Uh, this is our preview episode. We have a lot to talk about with comes to Royal St. George's. But before all that, the absolute opposite of what's happening at Royal St. George's was taking place in uh, Tahoe last week. And Dylan, our correspondent from Nevada, is here to tell us all about it. What did you see at the Celebrity Championship? That's a great question, Sean. First of all, what a joy to be covering somewhere between the first and like 12th most important golf tournament of the week um, from on the ground. I mean, there was a lot going on PGA tour. We had a, a major on the, uh, on the senior circuit LPGA tour with rain delay drama, but I was in Tahoe yucking it up with some, uh, some celebrities, some of golf's finest, athletes and uh, non-athletes, actors. It's sort of funny actually to figure out how to categorize this group of people because some of them are hmm. very good at golf and sort of famous, um, like Marty Fish, the tennis player who won last year. Some of them are very famous, but not that good at golf. Um, I guess like Charles <laughs> Barkley or like Al Michaels, it looked like might not get on the board at one point. Um, I think he started with 12 straight <laughs> X's, which means double bogey or worse. Anyway, so it's sort of like That's golf's so biggest awesome. celebrity tournament, but there's no clear identifier for how famous you have to be or how good at golf you have to be. So it's sort of like a, a combination of the two. Yeah. So it was the first time I'd been there. Um, I flew into Reno. It was 105 degrees there when we landed. Took a rental car, which... I got to tell you the rental car situation right now is is not a not an easy one. Not good. The Uber not situation good. is not an easy one either. So right now, I mean traveling there's just some potential headaches. So waited uh waited about an hour and a half for a rental car, eventually got to Tahoe and in this case Tahoe means Nevada. Um we would walk to dinner some nights in California because it was only about 100 yards oh, away. Sweet. But where this course is at Edgewood Tahoe, it's just across the border in Nevada, which is important because part of the appeal, I guess, of this tournament is that um, the competitors stay and play in some of these nearby casinos. So it was pretty funny. We were milling around after dinner one night, got a drink, went to play some cards, and you know, you just see, oh, there's Ryan Fitzpatrick and his buddies like looking to find a table. Um, and there's like VIP room and that's where people mostly go. But you know, then there's, Oh, Jackson Mahomes, Patrick's famous younger brother <laughs> is, um, headed over to check things out on the stage in the casino. And it, it what a weird, strange week, um, pretty intriguing. And it made me both want to be, but probably more so not want to be a celebrity. Yeah. But you were typically like spending most of your time at the golf course, interviewing people, as you said, mm -hmm. yucking it up. Who was the coolest or who was most interesting, treated you the nicest? Yeah. Who was your favorite person to talk to? Oh, well, let's see. Let's start with my favorite person to watch was Charles Barkley. Um, 
because he just is so much better. His golf swing looks really good. I know he did not achieve his top 70 that he was, uh, he had invested a hundred thousand dollar wager into him finishing top 70 out of the 88 player field. He came about nine (laughs) points short, which is the equivalent of like five double bogeys. Um, so if five double bogeys had been bogeys instead, then he would have won $500,000, which is about four times what the winner Vinny Del Negro actually got. Anyway, watching Charles, um, just swing the golf club first of all, and then his patience in interacting with people was also pretty amazing. Um, by the time we got to him actually for an interview on the course, it was the 16th hole, uh, of his practice round, he'd probably talked to like, you know, a thousand people individually by that point. Oh my! And I God. did a little walking interview with him where he was just like tired. You can find it. I think it's on our Instagram page. And it, it's it's definitely not one of the best interviews I've ever done in my career, <laughs> just because the guy is like exhausted. But the way he, especially early on in in his uh, rounds, the way he made everyone feel special was pretty cool. Um, as far as the mm-hmm. most the most fun person to interact with it would have to be Travis Kelsey. Um, the guy was, you know, he was shotgunning beers left and right, starting at like 8 a.m. <laughs> in practice rounds, starting with like an audience of maybe four people with the first one, and then um, hundreds of people down by the actual lake. Uh, he's got this, what's it called? It's called the Chug Bud. Oh, yeah. Like the Chug Buddy, have you have you I've dabbled? Seen, have you used one of these? I have not used, but I have seen what that means. Uh, it just is this little funnel that you put on top of the the beer can, mm-hmm. and it just funnels it straight into your throat. It's like a yeah. It's like a beer bong soft, right? Yeah, it's like a built-in shotgunner, basically. Yeah. Um, I would imagine that. Look, if you if if using your hands is an important part of your living, like it is for Travis Kelsey or Patrick Mahomes, maybe you don't need to be you know like jamming a key into the side of a, a beer can, um, <laughs> taking any risks with with injury there. But yeah, they they definitely. I mean, I don't know how many beers Kelsey could put away in eighteen holes, but more than you felt like he more than me for sure. So they were fun. One funny dynamic there, Mahomes. Uh, and Kelsey played together every day. Mahomes is sponsored by Coors Light. <laughs> Travis Kelsey is sponsored by Bud Light. Oh, so, no. you know, they're like just slinging back light beers, but they had to be very careful about which one each of them was consuming. That's um, awesome. So that's a little inside look. Marty Fish, I, w- I was convinced was going to win. I watched him play some practice round holes. He didn't even contend. Okay. Um, but he looks like he has the swing of a tour player. Here's the question. Would you win that tournament if you competed in it? Man, I was wondering that. I really was. <laughs> I'm glad you were. Because it is not a difficult golf course. When you see that so-and-so, Canelo Alvarez shot maybe 79. Yeah. You you could beat that guy. Yeah. And I don't mean you could beat that guy. I think you were a better golfer than that guy. Yeah. You don't work as hard as he does. <laughs> Canelo Alvarez was on the range grinding for four days in a row. He probably spent, you know, three plus hours hitting balls after his practice round yeah. on Tuesday. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's at elevation, so everything plays extremely short. Um, 
pins are in middles of greens. It's not open. There's actually some weird tightness, but you're generally not going to lose a ball and you're never going to make worse than double. So the fact and the freedom to pick up is uh, pretty helpful too. So definitely some of the scores you see coming out of Tahoe are uh, a little bit juiced up. So the fact that John Smoltz was right there with a couple rounds of, I think he was two under par each day. Mm. I think I'd be in the top five, but I'm not sure. Like they were definitely playing some pretty good golf. Nice. Well, it's fun to, to, to watch through social media and not feel like I had to, to really care about everything you were up to. Um, I had, had a wedding that has zapped my voice and you can probably hear it coming across on this podcast. <sighs> so let's move on though from your celebrity weekend. <laughs> what should we move on to the PGA tour or the LPGA tour or. Well, let's buzz through. I mean, this is a tricky, a tricky weekend. I mean, shout out to fluff Cowan fellow new englander um one of the more famous mainers i would say in the golf world um who now is a a a senior major champion caddy so that was pretty cool Um, i appreciate you ride or dying for the northeastern folks but uh yeah jim furick is good jim furick is a buzzsaw on the on the senior level he won by three shots um in nebraska what else? Lucas Glover. You uh, you were covering some of Lucas Glover's win on Sunday. His first, I didn't realize because he's had a little bit of a resurgence. I did not realize that it had been a full decade since he last won. Yeah, and you know what? Has he ever lost his tour card? Nope. No. He, he has had bad years in which he's re-earned his tour card technically. Like, I guess what you have to define what lost – means when you have this discussion about PJ mm-hmm. tour status, but he, he had over the past decade or so, um, his ability to, to win on the PGA tour has escaped him, but mm-hmm. he's never been so bad that he did not requalify through corn Ferry tour finals. And I think that is just a very sneaky part of obviously Lucas Glover story, but just the best darn, ball strikers ever like he is just so good at slotting that club face and putting it on the ball and hitting a nice little baby draw or a little baby fade he is just so good at it and that's why these guys win i was just asked by someone like why are all these 40 year olds winning it's like well they were always really damn good and now they got like serious about their fitness and they got really serious about their mental game and like their their talent took them a long way and then they might have had a little bit of a, a valley but then they got really serious about it again, doubled down, and now they're winning in their 40s. Stuart Sink's another one. Phil Mickelson winning in f- at 50. Sergio's still winning. Like All these dudes that do that at 40-plus are just dudes that have always been really, really damn good, and then they caught fire for a four-day stretch. Lucas Glover's the most recent example, I guess. Um, people forget... When you look up Lucas Glover highlights or on a little Google search, it's not very positive headlines. There's negative headlines that have to do with yes. um, his wife and him having to call the police on his wife for a domestic abuse uh, issue. And so he, uh, this was his first win in front of his family. Uh, th- that was something that he couldn't stop talking about afterwards. Kind of talked about how he really, really wanted that. Um, because he saw Tiger Woods do it in 2019 at the Masters and how special that was for 
for his family, Tiger Woods being a kind of embattled guy in the social sphere, he won in front of his family. That's all he wanted. And Lucas Glover just really wanted to do that. And he finally did it. So it's kind of a, you know, we don't always get like really exciting headlines out of the John Deere classic. We don't always get like, you know, Mm -hmm. super exciting names. And sometimes, yeah, Lucas Glover comes around and you have to appreciate it for what it is because the guy has been through some stuff. He's a major champion and he, he's lived the last uh, 10 to 12 years of his life knowing, hey, I'm a major champion, but I, I don't really get it done anymore. I haven't gotten it done in a decade. That eats at you. But he, you know, the way he sounded, he said he never lost confidence, which uh, whether or not it's true, it's pretty darn impressive. That's right. It's easy to say that now. Um, (laughs) you know what he was, he was a rare, a rare winner from the clubhouse. Yep. We so often see these guys post numbers early and it's like, Oh, that's nice. He's clubhouse leader. Yeah. You know, maybe if X and Y and Z break a certain way, then he could actually win this thing. Lucas Glover actually did. He just sat in there and everyone else stalled out. Um, so that was interesting, but they at least got to finish. 72 holes, Sean. Sorry if I'm cutting you short on your PGA Tour takes this week, but I figured (laughs) it's time to keep rolling ahead. The LPGA only played 54 holes. What do we think about this? I mean, I think it's – well, it's very unfortunate. What I I think is that they got to be willing to think about – extending that event to Tuesday. I, I know that they that the course got more rain uh, in the Toledo area today, at least another quarter inch of rain, and they got almost 1.5 inches on Sunday. But it just felt like a knee-jerk reaction from the LPGA Tour, like, yeah, well, sorry, we got to end this thing now. We got another tournament next week just up north in Michigan. We got to we gotta move on. Uh, it felt unfortunate, but... Nasa Hatauka was up by six, so you know, does it did did it, did it change anything? Probably not. It's sure a lot easier to uh, attend a tournament when you've got someone leading by six than if there's a three way tie at the top and a couple more people yeah. one shot back. Tell Jack Nicholas that. I sure will. I will <laughs> not John tell John I, I will not <laughs> tell John Rom or Jack Nicholas that. One cool thing, one cool tidbit out of that was that. Uh, Hatauka was using a ball marker all week from the Olympic Club, where she finished runner-up, where she lost in a playoff. Um, to tell herself to to basically keep her eyes on the prize and and remember to you know stay aggressive, stay focused on winning. So she's been playing some really good golf. Pretty impressive performance. All right, let's move on to what we began this episode talking about: the British Open, the Open Championship, the Open. It's kind of going to be weird, right? Like this is going to be weird at least the first couple of days because the discussion is not only about who's there, but also about maybe who's not. You don't really, you will not, you'll probably have the weakest open championship field in years because a lot of players have through one means or another <laughs> decided that they will not be there. Some people have COVID. Some people decided that the restrictions on travel and what you could do as a player are just too much to deal with. Uh, some people have decided, I just want to get ready for the Olympics. Um, and so you basically have like 15 or 16 players or so who would have previously qualified not taking part in the Open this week. 
Um, will we forget about this storyline by the time Thursday rolls around? Yes, we will because, you know, the only person that could really, well, no, I shouldn't say the only person. There's only a few people whose absence would really be felt. Uh, we already knew that Tiger Woods was not playing in this year's Open. He probably won't play in next year's Open either. Um, Rory McIlroy, Jordan Spieth, Brooks Kepka, Bryson will all be there. So, yes, there are a bunch of big names that won't be there. Um, Bubba, Hideki, Matthew Wolf, Kevin Na. Um, but by the time the tournament rolls around and actually gets going, the guys that are in the tournament are still, you know, more than enough to carry it through. Yeah. It's unfortunate. I mean, right. It's a, it's a mix of, um, it's a mix of situations like Zach Johnson just tested positive for COVID. <laughs> I don't think anyone would argue that he should be playing in the event. Oh, uh, I shouldn't say nobody. There's actually plenty of people on the internet that are <laughs> arguing exactly that, but there's Zach Johnson that's just you know unfortunate but inevitable then there's Bubba Watson which it seems like a, a real bummer because he's gotten vaccinated he was in contact with someone that you know got COVID but he doesn't seem to have any symptoms so you know that seems like a bummer Hideki will be outside the window of being contagious since he tested positive but he's still not going um, out of fear that a positive test would trigger quarantine and so look, there's inconsistencies throughout how we handle COVID and people's tolerance for those inconsistencies obviously varies greatly because we're we're trying to get through this thing. So you're, you're going to see a little frustrations here and there. Um, and then there's just some guys that just don't care about going to play in the Open Championship. They're just going to chill. They'll probably show up for the 3M Open yeah. the week afterwards and, you know, just kind of go on with their lives and... and I, I don't know if I get it, but that's certainly within their rights. Yeah, there's only so many people on that list who, who I will watch this tournament and think, darn, I kind of wish they were here. Hideki being one of them, Sungjae, Siwoo maybe, but Bubba. Bubba's playing some really good golf lately, and that that's kind of the thing. That He's I'm, really playing good golf. Yeah, that's what bothers me the most. Uh, Louis Dieger, you could have told me that he was, you know, a sous chef nearby here in Chicago. And I would have taken it your word for it. I don't know who that guy is. David Duvall, we will not miss him. Um, he's, he's past his prime and he's kind of working off that lifetime exemption that you get. Um, so yeah, it's going to be something we talk about the first couple of days. They might mention it sometime on the weekend. What really matters is that John Rahm is going to win. And this is going to be the summer of Rahm. He, I mean, Far be it for me to predict that the favorite, the Vegas betting favorite, is going to win. But it's always hard to follow up a big win with another big win. Like we saw Rory do it a couple years ago with the the Open Championship and the PGA Championship. But even then, neither of those wins came easy to Rory. John Rahm is playing the best golf of his life. Um, and it's just the most bulletproof golf of his life. I mean, the guy just, he just never finishes outside the top 20. It's Truly remarkable. He does every single thing good. You can imagine how that'll fare at this golf course, Royal St. George's, that it's Lynx golf. His game travels everywhere. He contended in the Scottish Open. He almost always contends in the Irish Open, often wins. He's won it twice. Like This guy is built to take on every single golf course in the world. And I think 
you can make the argument that there's a lot of people in this field who are not built to win at Lynx golf courses. Is that fair to say? Yes, I think it is fair to say. I think you could make the argument that the current number one player in the world, which first of all, I haven't looked into how that happened, but somehow DJ is number one in the world again. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Has shot a whole <laughs> bunch of rounds over 75 in, in recent Open Championships. Yeah. So what happened there was, were we replacing a John Rom victory from two years ago or something? Uh, you are Mr. OWGR. Yeah, you're either replacing like a, a good victory. Really the issue is that he played and Dustin Johnson didn't play. So John mm-hmm. Rom adds to his divisor, which means all the points that he has built up are, div- are being divided by a greater number, which means that, the quotient, I believe, maybe is the the answer. I don't really know. the The result is that his average is tinier because he's played in more events, and DJ isn't. That's enough math for one episode. Nine point seven four for DJ. Nine point seven two for John Rom heading to this week. The next closest is JT at seven point eight. So the two of them have separated themselves. Um, pretty far. But to answer your question, no, there's no reason that anyone besides John Rahm should be favored this week. He has consistently played the best golf in the world this year. Um, with that said, Sean, I think Xander Shoffley is still going to win. He has ditched the arm lock putting experiment, which was basically like him handicapping himself to the rest of the world. He has been a major championship killer. Um, I mean, look, I, I just think he's the best play this week. I think John Rahm is not going to – lightning will not strike twice with uh, with what happened at the end of the U.S. Open for him to win there. Lightning will and, not uh, strike I, twice for a guy who won well, – like, who basically won at Muirfield, who's won everywhere. Lightning, you're hoping, will strike once for Xander, who just cannot get it done anywhere. He made two 25-foot putts in a row. Or else he would not have beaten Louis Ooze season. So it's not like a foregone conclusion that he wins that U.S. Open. It's not a foregone conclusion that he wins this Open Championship. He's probably the most likely player to win. I'm not. I'm really, truly not arguing that. But I think if you're, you know, an investing man and you're looking at the odds, you just can't justify picking Rom at six to one or whatever he's fallen oh, to. No, definitely not. Xander Shoffley at about three times those odds. That's that's where you want to look. How about Rory? What about his odds? What do you think about Rory? I I love Rory to contend this week because who plays well off a loss in the NFL? Bill Belichick. And who plays well off a missed cut on the PGA Tour? Rory McIlroy. Two of his last four victories, Sean, have come after missing the cut the week prior. Uh you know, we saw it Quail Hollow. He won after missing the cut at the Masters. We saw him win at the RBC going away after missing the cut at the Memorial. Um, so I like Rory's chances this week, but my my guy has got to get some confidence back in his driver because to hear him talk about, oh, it's actually not bad at, at St. George. I might not have to hit that many drivers is just makes me upset because that is a weapon. That should be Rory's hammer is his driver. And instead, the fact that he's, you know, suggesting that maybe it's a good thing you won't have to hit it that much is that's troubling to me. He what he should be comfortable there. 
He should be comfortable at Royal St. George's, a course that actually a links course that doesn't have nearly as many bunkers, fairway bunkers as other links courses have had. He can wield that driver just about everywhere. Um, yeah, he is of the ilk where you, when you see 18 to one odds next to his name, you have no choice but to bet on it. You have to. You are being fiscally irresponsible. That's one school of thought. The other school of thought is this guy hasn't won a major in seven years. Something weird happens <laughs> to him at majors. I don't like saying it, Dylan. I don't like admitting it, but it exists. I don't like hearing it. It exists. The guy likes to backdoor his way into majors. And in the past where he has seemed like he actually might go out there and win the damn thing, he just hasn't done it. Other people do it. I don't like it, but it's true. And it's really hard. I don't care if he plays well off of miscut. It's really hard to look at his performance at the Irish Open in which he made the cut and bombed on the weekend and his performance in the Scottish Open where he just was a couple shots away from the cut line. Yeah, it's hard to back that. And you definitely won't see me doing it. I will admit that my logic for the fact that he's going to play well is that he didn't play well last week is not obviously super sound, but I still think he's been tinkering around. He's been messing around. Now he's going to realize it's the open championship. It's time for him to just get the ball in play, get the ball in the hole. He's going to be playing golf instead of tinkering and playing golf swing, which I think is what he's been doing the last two weeks. At least I hope definitely when you see Rory at 18 to one, that's the exact number that I think has to be an auto play whenever yeah. it's that or higher for Rory. Now, so that's my thought. Now, do you, can you say the same thing for Justin Thomas? He's at twenty to one. Um, I don't think I. I don't think it's a bad play, but it, there's just not the same sort of auto play in my mind for JT. Um, I think, you know, when it comes to this tournament and the the storylines that most intrigue me, it's funny. JT should be up there of guys that are likely to be in the mix, but my mind definitely first jumps to Brooks Kepka because whether you think he'll contend or not is that's one of the things I'm actually most curious to ask you about. He has been by far the, the best major championship golfer of the last five years. Uh, if you look at the aggregate scores relative to par, it's not even close. He has like a 60 shot lead or something. <laughs> um, so, I mean, we have sworn off doubting Brooks Kepka at majors, right? Yep. Are we, we don't still, do it anymore. Are we still aboard that? We don't do it anymore. We don't do that. This is the drop zone is not a podcast that doubts Brooks Kepka at the majors. Nope. We, we, we might doubt him slightly. We might be slightly more willing to doubt him at an open championship than we would at a PGA or a U.S. Open, but we still are not a Brooks Kepka doubting podcast. So, so I'll. I'll do the opposite of doubting him and I'll just kind of rattle off what his open championship career is. Um, by the time he got really good at golf, it was 2015. He finishes T10 at St. Andrews. Um, and he even told me that he made a triple bogey that week. Uh, and it's hard, it's hard to win when you make a triple bogey, but also he just felt like he was one triple bogey away from actually contending and, and making it into the playoff at St. Andrews. So there's that. 2016, he does not play in the, uh, in the Open Championship. Uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't explain why. I, that, that's kind of puzzling to me. Um, 
2017, fresh off of his Aaron Hills victory, he finishes T6 very quietly at Burkdale. I know that that's a little bit of, uh, you know, it's a little bit confusing because you don't really remember him playing or contending. It was really the Matt Kuchar and Jordan Spieth show. Mm -hmm. Um, 2018 at Carnoustie, he finishes T39. Now that's weird because like this is Mr. Major, right? And that is actually his worst major performance um, at at pretty much the last five years short of missing the cut this year's Masters. Then he finishes T4 in 2019 uh, at Portrush. You were there and Brooks was doing it again. He was trying to chase down you know, the Irish flavor of, of Shane Lowry up in Northern Ireland. He looked like he was going to do it. He looked unbeatable. That was during the year in which he finished in the top four in every single major. Brooks Koepka at the, at the peak of his powers. Last year, there is no Open Championship. And this year, here we are. Now, Brooks told me that he thinks he is, like, particularly good at Lynx golf and particularly better than maybe the average tour pro. He thinks that he will win an Open Championship. And he told me that, obviously – three or four years ago. So once that guy starts believing something, (laughs) it's almost like all bets are off in terms of like keeping him from getting there. Um, And so, yeah, he's going to contend this week. It's going to happen. The guy just has magic, major magic. I'm sure people who are listening to this podcast think, guys, that's not like a really good explainer for why Brooks Kepka will contend. But what do we have to look for besides the fact that he contended at Torrey and the fact that he contended at Kiowa? Like, the guy is healthy now, and this is what he does. Yeah. I think that's the whole point is that it's not, like, a particularly compelling argument. And and we have seen the stats guys doubt Brooks Kepka and undervalue him going into these majors. And essentially, there is a problem with – with looking at Brooks's results and treating every tournament and every data point the same yep. without listening to him and, and actually believing when he says, yes, I struggle at other tournaments. <laughs> I struggle to get excited for non-majors. I can't focus as much. I just don't care as much. Um, he said that at the Travelers and he still finished T5 in his last start. So I don't know if that's a good sign or a bad sign, but you're missing something if you ignore the fact that Brooks Kepka is Brooks Kepka and you just look at numbers on a spreadsheet. This is one of my only anti-stats takes mm. in golf. You've been spending that, too much time with Charles Barkley. Uh, God, apparently. I mean, I've always already been the subject of a 538 hot takedown, so people are going to think I'm bringing some Luddite um, attitude to this podcast. But look, Brooks Kepka smells a major coming he could win he's probably going to be there at the end and it's actually that much more exciting that he will be there at the end you know who else wouldn't surprise you if they were there louis oosthuizen louis oosthuizen 25 to 1 is that what you're gonna say that's exactly who i was gonna say i mean this guy technically has like the seven shortest odds uh, he's e- even money with Colin Morikawa, a guy who is like stupidly talented. And yet Louis Oosthuizen has one PGA Tour victory in his life. <laughs> and that took place at the Open Championship more than a decade ago. Uh, you would not be shocked if at eight under par and in the final group on Saturday, Louis Oosthuizen's hitting last. He's hitting second because he's in the lead, Right. 
I would not be shocked. It almost feels like now our expectations have surpassed um, what's fair for Louis. He has now officially, because of the U.S. Open, gone from somebody that it's like, wow, that dude's there again, to someone that we're now, yeah, I mean, like you said, he's in the top 10 of expected players. He's, he's yeah, right there with guys like Morikawa, Hovland, ahead of Patrick Cantlay and Patrick Reed and Paul Casey. Um, so, I mean, he's, he's what? Artisanal Brooks Kepka is that what we settled on at the U.S. Open? On. Yeah, hipster Brooks Kepka. Um, he shows up for majors. He seems to rally for big events. He's obviously played well at the Open Championship in the past. I would love it if he is in contention because he's such a fun guy to watch. He um, he makes great sense to be in the mix. Um, do you think he's properly rated? Yeah, because you wouldn't be shocked if he won like truly actually got it done. But also if he does it again, it's like, wait, is this guy the player of the year? <laughs> so yeah, he does feel properly rated. You have to start thinking about guys. This is the last major of the year. I know the FedEx cup looms out there. The Olympics looms out there. There's a lot more to play for after this week. But if Justin Thomas wins this week, he's player of the year. If Bryson DeChambeau wins this week, he's probably player of the year. If God forbid Phil Mickelson wins this week, he's definitely player of the year. Same goes for John. That's Rahm. crazy to think about. <laughs> yeah, I know it's crazy to think about because it's a crazy idea, but it sits there beckoning. If Stuart Sink wins this week, he's player of the year. Should I? What stop? do you make? Yeah, you can stop for a second. What do you make of? another potential player of the year winner if he wins this week, Bryson DeChambeau, um, so, he of the new caddy. Yeah, I've given a decent amount of thought to this. I've watched many flyovers of Royal St. George's. I've thought, okay, where the hell can Bryson get his advantage? The guy, the, the, he's, he's still one of the, I think, five most talented golfers on the planet. So like that baseline means you can expect him to make the cut. That being said, has he ever fared well in the Open Championship? No. He's missed the cut twice and three times, and he's finished T51 back at Carnoustie in 2018. He's a different golfer now. There are certainly uh, holes on this property that I think he can take advantage of. Um, but he has a new caddy, and I think that means more to him than truly any other golfer on the planet. I think there are players who can who can play with anyone. We kind of discussed this with Rory last week. I think Rory can probably play with anybody on the bag. And maybe anyone on the bag would have stopped some weird streaker from grabbing that head cover, if, you, if we're going to be honest, Harry Diamond. Mm, but yep. Bryce, Bryson talks to his caddy like crazy. Bryson uh, just like... He, he goes through everything. He got, talks about the wind, the bear munching pressure, the, the, sl the slope on every single green. He talks about everything with this caddy. And Brian Ziegler, I think, will be a good job at answering those questions. But this is his first week together. They haven't done this before. It's a hell of a time to rip off the Band-Aid and say, let's do the damn thing. Uh, I just think that that means that makes that matters for something. I don't know if it's three strokes or six strokes or one stroke, but I think it's enough that it will keep him from truly winning, though I would expect him to make the cut. It would have to somehow affect you to have your caddy 
basically say I've had enough in the middle of the week. Because as far as Bryson seems to push people on his team, they don't leave. I mean, they're on a on a rocket ship. They're yep. working with a guy who has become one of the best golfers in the world who is, you know, yes, he hasn't been playing quite as well in the last few starts, but he's still clearly one of the best golfers. You know, it's a good spot to be, basically, Team Bryson. So mm-hmm. I think that, I mean, that would mess with you. Even if you're Bryson, who obviously compartmentalizes things in a different way than the rest of us, I think that that would be rattling. If if you if you were on my bag and we had worked our way up to... <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to think of a, a realistic thing. Say we were on the eve of, you know, a, a Massachusetts a Open tour. Yeah. All right. Say we were at the Massachusetts Open. We'd played pretty well in qualifying. We'd been reeling through, you know, top five at the Vermont Open, say, and then based <laughs> off our our practice and just kind of the the general arrangement of your job, if you were then like, I'm out. As much as this seems like a great gig, I just can't handle it anymore. I'm out. That would kind of be rattling. I would have a hard time shaking that the rest of the week. Um, And I think you saw Bryson go through that when he was missing his cut um, last time out. Whether that has any carryover this week, I'm not so sure. It seems like he and Tim Tucker have gotten together. And, you know, they talked to to Luke Curdenine on our staff and – obviously put forth a very unified face. Um, yeah. How much that actually represents the reality, you know, it's hard to know. You can only, you can only write an article about the quotes that that guys tell you. So it's, uh, it's going to be really interesting to see where he seems to be mentally and where his new caddy can, where Ziegler can keep him um, once things tend to go wrong because on a Lynx course, things get weird and they do go wrong. And I think that's yeah. where you've seen Bryson, Bryson's patience tested in the past. Yeah. Uh, real question. If you have choice over anyone in golf media to replace me as your caddy, who are you choosing? Wow. Boy, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, look, if you're to look at our staff, a guy that jumps out immediately is a young James Colgan, just because of absolutely relentless positivity um, he's, he's a real us versus them guy, which I appreciate. And, uh, you know, also a big, strong lad. So would have no trouble carrying the sack around the course. So that's really my first instinct. I think if you looked, if you looked outside of golf magazine and you had to, to pick someone, I got to give this some, some thought, maybe come back at the oh end of the gosh. podcast and you and don't have a gut instinct of who you want carrying your clubs this is a big decision because it sounds like, you know, you, you maybe, I don't know if you've got a shuttle system in the works, maybe like a sand Valley shuttle program, like Tim Tucker's working at Bandon dunes that you're about to drop and say, I'm out. Yeah, I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) I don't mean that. Um, all right, well let's move on briefly. I think, I think people will look at Royal St. George's as a golf course and they won't be wowed by any one thing. I don't think that there's a like a, a a typical story that is always told about Royal St. George's and the way that the paragliders are the featurette of Tory Pines broadcasts and 
the sandy wind wind dunes uh aesthetic at Kiowa always jumps out and Augusta National and it's you know Amen Corner and all that stuff what does Royal St. George's have I don't think it has that it has one tree on the property it it will look rather flat it has some really 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 cool um just makeup of dunes and how holes play towards and away from and alongside dunes the English Channel is out in the distance for people who don't realize, and uh, it's as close as you can get to London and continental Europe, while also being a uh, a road uh, a member of the British Open Rota. Wow, but fun. What do you? But what do you know about it? What do I know about it, Sean? You don't know a whole lot about it, so I think I'm really hopeful that the broadcast has done its homework. I mean, what's tricky about that is that. There was no British Open last year. The lead up to this one has been marred in the number of coronavirus cases, players that aren't going to be there. I really hope that that course can kind of take our imagination. I really hope that we're delivered like a really good championship. But this course, you know, when you look back in history, it's known for being the the victory place of Darren Clark. (laughs) Like at 42 years old of being the victory place of Ben Curtis, a guy who won a couple other times in the PGA tour, but then fell off the map. Uh, Greg Norman won here, but beyond that, it doesn't have that kind of like rich, rich recency history that, um, you know, it's hosted the open 14 times, but it's never hosted like all of our imaginations and our attention, uh, in the last 10 years. So yeah, I think, uh, I hope to be pleasantly surprised by what Royal St. George's offers. You know what I remember best from Royal St. George's? Tiger Woods losing a golf ball on the first hole in 2003. Mm-hmm. What a weird thing. This was, you know, at the peak of Tiger, uh, you know, fandom, Tiger Fuhrer, Tiger mania, whatever you want to call it. So the fact that he could hit a tee shot, hit a golf ball somewhere and it would not be found it was really crazy. Yeah. And I didn't watch – I watched some golf at this point in my life. I think it was, you know, whatever I was, 11 or 12 years old. And uh, But I remember seeing that live and just thinking how strange it was. And that's my main memory of Royal St. George. <laughs> I mean, I remember Darren Clark. I remember Ben Curtis. I remember Tiger Woods not winning. Um but man, that was that was really weird. That can't have happened very many times in his career. No, definitely not. Darren Clark won by three over Phil Mickelson and Dustin Johnson. It is among the major championships. I think that people thought Dustin Johnson should have won. Uh, Tom Watson made the cut as a 61-year-old because he's an absolute lunatic. Um, but yeah, this was this was kind of Dustin Johnson's really really. I guess first time since Whistling Straits when he blew it in 2010 that people are like, wait, can this guy win a major? Or is he going to be choking constantly? Um, clearly, he has done bigger things since then. But yeah, Darren Clark's kind of a, a weird winner. The entire back nine was filled with bogeys that week. Um, the front nine is the more gettable nine. Yeah, I don't know. Don't have a whole lot to say about the course. I wish we did, but maybe we will on Sunday uh, or one week from now. It's the uh, it's the site of the famous match in Goldfinger, Sean. Yeah, if you're looking for some more fun facts about the the ho- the host course this week, Royal St. George's 
Goldfinger, James Bond. In the movie, I don't know how this how true this was to the original text. James Bond used some fairly suspect tactics to win that match, but Ooh. I don't know. That's our guy. So I, I, I happened to write a big breakdown on this uh, last year at some point, I think during um, quarantine when we were really <laughs> making Tough. something out of nothing. So I remember Tough that. Tough scene that well. I did not read that. That's really Yeah, yeah, I know. Good. You could find it on <laughs> golf.com. Um, all right, Sean, do you have any, uh, do you have anything else that you want to kind of crystallize as far as, you know, have you given us your picks? Do you feel like at this point, have you sworn John off Rahm picks? Is winning. John Rahm is winning and, uh, the person, the long shot that will make you think about if they'll win is going to be Lucas mm-hmm. Herbert. Wow. That's pretty fun. That's yeah, definitely, he's playing fun. really, f- he's playing really good golf right now. The fun semi sleeper. Um, Xander Shoffley is my guy. A hundred to one. Oh, I do like that. That's tasty. Um, Xander Shoffley is my guy. I, I liked looking down the leaderboard here or looking down the odds board here. Tony Finau has really slipped. I know he's missed a couple cuts in a row, but you know, I could certainly see him contending at 50 to one. I like that. Um, and Patrick Harrington down yep. there at 200 to one. The guy's playing yep. pretty good golf. Just finishing the top 20, the Scottish Open. Won't go away. That'd be yeah. fun. Uh, Richard Bland, the U.S. Open hero, has now just been racking up top finishes again on the European Tour. So he actually is in the field also. So I don't know, man. Let's see Let's see a couple old dogs in the mix this week. Yeah, well, I wouldn't be shocked at it. The, birth, the, the place of Darren Clark's winning... Uh, we could totally see it. If it's Phil Mickelson, I might just retire from golf coverage and go work for Phil because he's got some magic. <laughs> That's kind of the bottom line. Yeah, there'd be no way to top it. And then the final nod would just be Sam Horsfield in as an alternate. Everyone raves about this guy's golf game, and, and he's going to show it on a big stage at some point. So he's way down the board. Give him a look. All right. That's all I well, got, Sean. Xander, Rom, Herbert horse field you heard it here first on the drop zone we'll see y'all in a week and i promise that will be a lot more fun than this one